Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. On today's show, we have my uh, mentor in the world of music, Gabe Echezabel. God, I'm getting better at it. I, that's that's the most stressful part of my week is pronouncing your last name. <laughs> Uh, you're a third timer. You were just setting, ev- setting and breaking every record with this podcast. Uh, I'm beyond honored. Are you? you? It's, it's, yeah. I mean, everybody's talking about it. Your, your curating is just through the roof. I mean, there's, there's tens of 20 of people that are listening to the show, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's personally very enjoyable for, for, for me. So, uh, basically the way that this works is, is Gabe holds kind of a special, uh, position here where I come up with, a topic, a musical topic for Gabe. And I sent him down a rabbit hole of, 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 you know, I think he does this anyway, but maybe I give him some focus. So, uh, you know, before it was, let's pick a topic. And we talked about the, uh, the New York scene in the, the, the 70, late sixties and seventies and, and, uh, you know, Max's Kansas city and CBGB and, and really enjoyed that show. So, Every now and again, I, I come up with an idea and I, I message Gabe and said, how about we do one on this? And he's always game. So <laughs> today is uh, we didn't originally pick a number. I'm going to I'm going to set it as a premise of each of our top 10 front men. Uh, but I think Gabe probably came up with about 50. So at the end, <laughs> we're going to circle back around. His are like cross referenced by probably ge- geography, music type, you know, timeline and alphabetized or something i don't know he 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 really kind of gilds a lily in that regard but <laughs> i appreciate him for that so um without further ado uh by now people should know who you are so i'm gonna say let's get into it thank you top front men so before before i ask you your first one what was your thought process like how did you approach this project well, I thought about it long and hard and you're right this is what i do at home anyway yeah regardless of whether you know i was happy enough to, you know, uh, honored enough to, for you to have me on. But this is the type of stuff I do anyway. But this is really hard because there's so many different roads we could travel down. So I made myself some notes just to kind of keep myself in focus of what I wanted to achieve. And a couple of things, and I'll be quick and then I'll jump into it. A couple of things that I wanted to, to, to touch on was I really thought about what makes a front man great. What is that essence that makes them great? So a couple of things I, I, that came to mind were things like charisma, style, originality, individuality, swagger. That's a big part of it. Attentiveness to the audience, uh, coyness. You know, you have to have kind of that give and take, I think. Uh, the ability to overpower and overshadow your fellow bandmates, but the class and unwillingness to do so. I mean, right. It's easy for them to be in the spotlight. They are in the spotlight anyway. But to me, a great frontman is one who shares that stage with everyone. I mean, sometimes some great frontmen, it's hard to take your eyes off of them. But at the same time, a great frontman is going to uh, make you want to pay attention to the rest of the guys in the band or the women in the band. Uh, frontman should be his own island or entity while still making it very obvious that he's very much a part of a greater group that leads me to one topic that i want to get into with with you before and if you've got more to say please but one thing that i had a problem with is bands where there were effectively two front men yeah and that's a big hill to get over and deciding like 
Who's the front man of the Beatles, right? Exactly. Who's the front man of Led Zeppelin? Who's the front man of the Rolling Stones? You know, there's these Lennon McCartney plant, uh, page, uh, you know, uh, Keith, Keith Richards and yeah. Mick Jagger, you know, these, these situations where it's like, you could, you could make a, a strong argument that one or the other of them were a front man. But I think what's great about those, and you're absolutely right. I think what's great about those pairings is that it leads each one of those guys to step it up just a little more. A, a, a friendly and sometimes not so friendly competition exactly. between the people. Which makes for very good uh, on stage right, right. drama. Um, uh, you know, a great front man to me is sharp when it comes to timing, to presentation, to intuition, things like that. Um, now, what I did too, this was hard for me because um, there are people who are better known as kind of solo performers. They're better known as artists among themselves. They're great front men, but, I, but in the true sense of what I think we're going to talk about, I didn't necessarily go with guys that um, are known for their own contributions versus being part of a band. So I, I agree with you on that point. And for that reason, Elvis Costello does not find his way on my list. Bob Dylan does not find his way on my list. Tom Petty does not find his way on my list. These are people that theoretically or technically are part of bands and they are the front men, but they're kind of, I don't want to say the whole show because that's disrespectful to a, a bunch of amazing musicians who play along with them. But it's hard for me to think of Tom Petty as a front man. Bob exactly. Dylan is a front. They're more of a, a singular entity. Sure. So. And I went with, you know, to me, the greatest of all time, Little Richard. That's not really where I was going with this. I was going for part of. And he got a lot of, of love in our last interview. I oh, think. God. So. He's, yeah. he's just so huge. Uh, people like Chuck Berry, Bruce Springsteen, Otis Redding. James Brown, arguably the greatest front man, if you ask anybody. Um, those people I kind of left out because I didn't think that that really. I did too. I they're they're fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's what we were you were looking for. Sure. And not the direction I went in. So. We're on the same frequency. There, okay. So, okay I, so I'm with you. Good, good. All right. So do you want to, you, you want to volley or how do you want to do it? Sure. Are you sure? Yeah. Because I think you put a lot more thought and effort just looking at your notes from me than I did. So if you kind of had a way that you wanted to tackle it, we can do it your way or we can volley back and forth. I I just thought it was interesting to kind of break it down by not so much by decade or by genre, but maybe a combination of both. So So how many subcategories do you have? I've got one, two, three, four. I got about four or five, and then I have. Well, why like, don't we do a category, and okay. then if one of mine kind of falls within that category, then okay. I'll talk on it, and then we'll go to your next category, okay, and go from there. I'm interested to see how many of mine okay. you cover. So that sounds good. Go ahead, go ahead with your first category, and, and of course, keep in mind I left out about a thousand other people that I could have included. Oh well, for but, sure. And know. then the other thing is too, like. You know, we could go through Motown versus rock versus this, that, and the other. I mean, so by no means, if I'm missing somebody, am I uh, trying to denigrate a musical taste? Not at all. I I basically just went off of what I know and love. Sure. So that's where a lot of my guys. And then probably my guys are a lot more contemporary than some of your guys, Mm -hmm. just because, you know, I'm just such a young, young, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I have some old folks on (laughs) here. I'm just kidding. Yeah, these are the guys that obviously that spoke the loudest to me, that made the most sense to me in my upbringing. So that's kind of where I went with these selections. So who's cat? What's what's category? Give me the introduction to category number one. I, I just started with just because it's the first thing I thought of was punk rock, and I have uh, Johnny Rotten slash Leiden and Joe Strummer. 
So Joe Strummer, thank you for saying that, because that brings me into a, another situation with Joe Strummer and Mick Jones. Because, right. again, they very much that dynamic oh. is a kind of a, a dual front to the band. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, okay. And very popular, probably unpopular opinion here. Mick Jones is my favorite part of The Clash. Right. The Clash is probably my favorite band. Mick Jones, to me, is integral. I mean, no slight on Strummer. But Mick Jones, to me, was just... I mean, he formed the band. He was the spirit of the band for me. Strummer, undeniable, though. Undeniable front man. So, um, so I did go with Strummer. But you're right. Either one of them could have Who been. Who were the other two? Uh, I went with Johnny Rotten, or okay. later known as Leiden, because I did include Public Image Limited. Uh-huh. Um, but it was just... Uh, so those are those are the British uh, manifestation of punk mm-hmm. rock. Okay, so that's interesting because there's a whole other punk rock conversation that you can have. True. Okay, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But so, uh, what is it about these people that you love, and what is it that spoke to you about these people? Well, the thing about Johnny Rotten, I mean, just attitude, just irreverent, and just, and and fuck you to the like. I, I've always loved front men who uh, are at war with the fans and at exactly. war with the crowd, like spitting on each other and taunting and just, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've always found really fascinating, not just in rock and roll, but in life is, you know, the people who attract such polar opposite um, reactions Yeah. to me is just fascinating. Yeah. Like somebody like, like Johnny Rotten, for example, there was as many people who hated him as there were people who followed him and thought he was the greatest thing. That to me is just such an interesting, uh, 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 you know, just. He's an antihero. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So, um, you know, things like we said, like snotty, irreverent, he was vulgar for all intents and purposes. Um, to me, all the things that rock and roll should be. Yeah. That to me is what it was built on. Um, he was vilified in the, in the press, um, and to the unwitting public. I mean, there was all sorts of rumors. I remember when I was a kid reading my older sister's Rolling Stones and, you know, there was all these rumors that he was spitting on old ladies and vomiting on yeah. everybody. And, yeah. you know, it was just so fascinating to me. Um, and to me, the greatest <laughs> line any frontman has ever delivered was on that the very last show he ever, um, the Sex Pistols ever played in America in January 78 at Winter Lane in San Francisco. After all the hype and after all of the, you know, all of the buildup around them, they played a short show. And then at the end he laughed and he said, did you ever get the feeling you've been cheated? And that just drove it home. That was just like, yeah, that is proving just where his intention. Yeah. It's just the shit eating, the eternal shit eating grin. Exactly. It's brilliant. People were pissed off, which made it even more brilliant. Um, You know, and again, taking it forward with public image limited who, and I would have to agree. And I see him hanging on the wall right behind me. There's a great quote from uh, Henry Rollins. It says, you know, Public Image Limited was ultimately more interesting than the Sex Pistols. Yeah. And I would agree to a great extent. I mean, way more experimental, way more. Well, how many albums did the Sex? I mean, they had like, what, two albums? Just the one. Just, just the one. The okay. Yeah. They did the soundtrack to a Great Rock and Roll Swindle, which was kind yeah. of leftovers and pieced together. But it was really just the one. So Public Image Limited, they they exceeded the 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 Sex Pistols as far as recordings, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And those first three or four records are just groundbreaking. Right. I mean, just post-punk classics all the way. But even with PIL, I mean, just he pulled some of the similar antics and he's just, yeah. just fantastic. Today, I mean, dude's like almost 70 and he's still pissing people off. Exactly. Um, so then Strummer was your other one. 
Strummer. Now, yeah. now my, uh, just my two cents, because otherwise I could probably just leave the room and let you talk the whole no, time. No, 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 because no, you have so much good stuff. But the thing with them is they were cool and they were political and they yes. were the crossroads of cool and political. And that's what I loved about the oh, class. Man. So anyways, that's my two they cents. They looked great. They sounded great. They had a lot to say. They were of the people. I mean, I know towards the end when they kind of had the, you know, top 40 hits, people kind of accused them. Well, they got accused of selling out from day one. But anyway, but they were the people's band to me. Uh, Strummer, just the urgency. To me, no other front man has ever matched that. He just, it always seemed like he always had a, a gun to his back, you know, mm-hmm. like he had to make his message really, uh, he had to make it clearly and he had to make it quickly, um, which only intensified the weight and the insistence of his message. Uh, he was very spontaneous. He was unpredictable. I mean, he would, you know, they had a set list I think they would follow, but he would go off of it a lot of times. And he was just in his own element on stage. And, you know, to me, he was just, I mean, to me, that's, it's my favorite band. So I had to include him. So, so, so far, no one on my top 10 have you mentioned, but Strummer was definitely in my honorable mention. Oh, cool. All right. Okay. So All right. we have two different uh, perspectives. Here. All right. That's awesome. So that's category one. Um, I narrowed it down to a decade. I went with the 70s. Okay. And I have a couple of guys there. So is, uh, this, is this our next stop? Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. All right. Chapter two. Yes. All right. Um, you know, again, and I've gotten into a lot, of, a lot of arguments about this band. And I know people who grew up with them in the later era maybe don't have the same respect or love for them. But. I went with Steven Tyler, Aerosmith. Okay, okay. I mean, I like just, it. Th- just his look. I mean, he almost had like this gypsy chic. It was like Janice. Lots of scarves, you know, j- nails painted. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the scarves. To me, he set the tone for what would come 10 years later with the hair metal. I mean, he was the poster child for frontmen for that. I have a strange relationship with them because when I became aware of them was when they were kind of getting into maximum cheese factor, you know, with pump and all Uh these things where they almost became more of a uh, caricature of themselves. But there was that 70s era where they were very much on the cutting edge of a lot of music Mm -hmm. and the Boston, you know, just a lot of great music around that time so uh they kind of there's kind of two aerosmiths and totally in, in my view and so i think the earlier one had a lot more artistic merit mm-hmm. whereas the kind of later incar- incarnation became more of a kind of a a um like I said, a caricature of themselves. But yeah, definitely, definitely. For, I, but I appreciate them very much, and I love both versions of them. Oh but, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. me too. And you know, obviously, the times that I've seen them live have, have been later. I mean, I didn't see them live myself until Permanent Vacation around '87. They still knocked me out. Oh, Angels, one of my favorite songs. I love playing "What It Takes" on guitar. Yeah, so. you know. But, uh, but uh, those first five albums, like especially "Rocks," yeah, especially "Get Your Wings." I mean, those are just. To me, rock and roll classics. And yeah. he just, I mean, he's just such a show off. And I mean that in a good way. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, that's part of being a front man, that's right? That's part yeah. of it. You know, and he loves the adulation. And to me, he's a great singer. He's got a lot of soul. I mean, they. Oh, dream on, man. That just, he had some notes in that know, song that your blood just curls. Exactly. And on their live album, that live bootleg, it's called, he does a cover of James Brown's Mother Popcorn, which uh-huh. is, is, it's outstanding. So. Yeah. 
Steven Tyler, I could not pass him by. Okay. Because to me, he was fantastic. Um, Alice Cooper. So Alice Cooper, that, so this goes back to the discussion of were they a front man or were they their own thing? I right. Mean, so that's, that's another one that I thought of from the Kabuki kind of aspect right. of what he did. I mean, you can argue that, you know, one of my near and dear loves death metal and all the corpse sure. makeup that everybody wore that yeah. he was the very first to kind of get into that whole part of it. But I, I, I didn't put him on because I wasn't sure if, if he fell into the front man. Um, I would say yes and no. I mean, I had a hard time with it, and two, I was like, should I include him? Should I not? The thing with him was, you know, when the band first came up, they were the Alice. Alice Cooper was the name of the band. Sure. You know, so they were an, a whole entity, a whole uh, group, but obviously he kind of rose. What's his real name? Vincent Fernier. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but to me, he just kind of, another one, he's a perfect example of what I was talking about with Johnny Rotten. I remember when I was a kid growing up, again, looking through my sister's rock magazines, I mean, the guy was scary. I mean, he scared me, literally. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, he looked like this, you know, he had just rolled out of bed. He looked like he had all this smeared makeup on him. He had snakes on him, bottles of whiskey. It was mm. just, he just looked like he was from another planet. Right. And I love that now because now that I've gotten older and, you know, I've gotten more into his music and I know more about him, that was kind of a, it, it was kind of farce. You know, it was kind of a persona. Did you see the Supermensch documentary? Oh, yeah. Oh, where I mean, uh, basically just plays golf all day. Exactly. I mean, he's like an old white dude, you know, now. But I mean, still, even in the day, I yeah. think. Uh, yeah. He's a born again Christian. Yeah. He's been sober for 30 something years. So it's an act. It's more. Oh, for sure. It's more driving the point home that that was a persona. And you almost um, can't talk about him without talking. I'm blanking on the name of the of his agent, but the, the, that was such a great documentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of. Uh, um, Oh shoot, Shep Shep Gordon. Shep Gordon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and just oh the business side and how he became almost a caretaker and a totally. best friend. I mean, to this day, they're like best friends. Oh yeah, yeah. So, they're still yeah, they're still an entity. Um, it, it, he just had that kind of you know, the thing about him talking to him now, and I had the pleasure of interviewing him last you, year, which was huge, I didn't know that huge huge thrill. Was it is it just written or is there? It, it was uh, yeah, it got published. It was actually my first cover story in Creative Loafing. It was last fall. Do you have it somewhere electronically? Yeah, yeah. Because I'd love to to see that. Um, It it just talking to him. It's just, it's funny how he, it was a joke the whole time. I mean, I don't mean that by the music, but, you know, that was the whole comedic kind of the the tongue in cheek type of thing. But people bought it. Yeah, for sure. People fell into it and people were so scared of him. Well, I have this conversation uh, with my buddy, uh, Andrew Domestico. I don't know if you're aware of him. Uh-uh. He's a local musician, but he uh, has a couple of different uh, incarnations of his music. One is Achilles, but the other one is Blade of Sir, okay. which is his death metal thing. And so we're always talking about the most pleasant, nicest, sweetest, caring people we know uh, listen to the most crazy, insane, horrible music. Yeah. And it's almost, it, it's this uh, duplicity, but, you know, again, with... Alice Cooper, you know, you see him, like you mentioned, it like looks like a mental patient. Totally. But he's <laughs> totally this low key dude. So I always love that about that sort of thing. And, and you know, what's even cooler about him now is that the persona, it, it's even more effective now, now that he's older yeah. and he's an older guy yeah. and he just looks creepier. Sure. I don't mean oh, that yeah, as a slight against no, him. For sure. Yeah. It just adds to the characterization, which 100%. is brilliant. Um, finally, I know we talked about him earlier and we were talking about the the, the 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 dual partnership with Jimmy Page, but I mean, I had to go with Robert Plant. All right, so you, that's my number seven. All right, so I mean, we're into my top ten now. 
Just the command, the power, no the sex, oh. the the unbuttoned shirt, and the jeans riding low and slithering around on the stage. And I mean, that's the, it's kind of you know, just he oozed that you know, probably one of the first. I mean, maybe Elvis, you could say sure. beforehand, but um, in in a very kind of blatant sexually way i think robert plant just embodied that absolutely and he had just as many dudes who wanted to be him as he had women who wanted Wanted to to sleep with him oh for sure you know i mean that's that's not an easy thing to pull off the blueprint for so many rock and rollers thereafter into the hair metal and all that stuff i mean oh and vocally i mean oh again just amazing amazing what he did with his voice i mean one of the things that i always find interesting about that band is especially early on how much they borrowed from you know blues musicians and that sort of thing so that's a strike that they get against them i don't know how much that was plants uh, thing because I don't think he was writing the music. He was just doing the lyrics along. With I mean, Buddy. I never took that as kind of a deal breaker. I mean, yeah, I know it sucks that a lot of those musicians probably didn't get the the royalties or the money that they were entitled to. I'll agree with that. That is a bummer. But I mean, I never took that to be something that would that was a setback. For I think that. that was the nature of the business back then. I mean, you look at Elvis and a lot of the music, you know, he was singing in a quote unquote black voice songs that were written by African Americans who sang them just as well as he did, but they didn't want it coming from that face or that, you know, person. He was a more uh, acceptable, you know, uh, vessel for that music to arrive through. But a lot of people, I mean, there's, I've listened to, was it on Rollins thing or I forget who it was, but they play the, they play Elvis singing it. And then they play the original versions. And then you're like, why, why was this one okay? You know, it's just very interesting. I know, I know. So, in any event, but not to, not to get off track, no, Robert, no. Plant, Robert Plant 100% agree with. He was and, my number seven. And I don't think Plant or Page would be the type to to downplay the fact that they borrowed that stuff. Oh, no, for sure. I don't think they I think would. they saw it as honoring it more than pilfering it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I went on to the topic of metal. So, are we chapter three? Yes, I'm chapter sorry. Chapter three. No, yes. we're good. So, so so now we're getting into my world and yes. I'm going to see there's three very specific metal vocalists in my top 10. I'm wondering. Okay. I, you had to at least get two of the three. Okay. Okay. My first one was Rob Halford. Nope. The All metal right. god. All right. I mean, again, just the characterization, the, 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 the leather, the, the leather spikes. And, and that gets into that whole world of, you know, he it wasn't originally, but some point came out as openly gay. But there's yeah. a whole kind of mo- biker leather, you know, definitely a, a part of metal, especially in the late 70s and 80s that he just embodied. Yeah. And I, I have to throw this in there. I thought it was just hilarious and laughable that when he did come out, that people were shocked or surprised. I'm yeah, like, it's like what, what, what? Have what, you been paying yeah, attention? Yeah. Well, 100. percent Yeah, I mean, he's a leather daddy, but yeah. you know, yeah. come on. So Halford, to me, the metal god, great vocalist, just great front man. Um, next, I went with Bruce Dickinson. Not on my list, but okay. for sure, Iron Maiden. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think he redefined the role of the front man in that he could hit notes well, vocally, nobody could vocally. Uh, who's the merciful fate king uh king diamond king diamond uh, yeah you know these operatic metal singers that just kind of 
can just do. Yeah. You know, their voice is truly as much of an instrument on that stage as sure. any of the other instruments. You know, I think a lot of times singers kind of get a bad rap is not really contributing to the to the work behind creating a song. But those guys, I mean, as important as any other instrument on Absolutely. stage is their vocal cords. And Bruce Dickinson had a hard kind of early on. He had kind of some shoes to fill because, you know. Right. He was had, not the original singer. No, they yeah. had Paul Diano on the first yeah. two records. And here he was stepping into a band that was just really starting to catch on and get momentum. And then he jumps in and they do uh, Number of the Beast. And it's like, pff, I mean, come on. I mean, yeah. He, yeah. It, it was a natural. So I think he's brilliant. And then I went with Ian Gillen, mostly for Deep Purple, uh, his contribution. I love that we do not overlap in this topic at all. All right. Awesome. To me, just another great vocalist, great front man, just very, um, uh, just very animated. And I mean, when he would fling his hair all around, yeah. it's just so I love that band. And I'm mostly because of Ian Gillen's vocals. Very cool. All, all people I didn't think of. So I love Okay, that. cool. All right. Uh, from there, I moved on to the 80s. Chapter four. Yes, all right. Sir. Let's talk about it. So I've got three guys here and I'll talk briefly about them. Uh, my first one was Michael Hutchins from NXS. Oh, okay. Very much kind of a, uh, uh, an evolution from uh, Robert Plant in a lot of ways. Yes. Adding a little bit more shoegazy, moody kind of, and maybe even a more feminine kind of uh, manifestation Total. Of, of that act. But the, the totally. unbuttoned shirts leathering around on the stage. The swagger. Swagger, for sure. Uh, sexiness. He was oozing it. Um, he had quite, kind of a quizzical quality. Like yeah. he was always kind of up to something in his mind. Yeah. Seemed like, and he had like that, that just idle power. I mean, he just had this, I mean, he wasn't, you know, particularly a particularly handsome guy, some would argue, but he had this kind of charm that just kind of took over. Also a Jim Morrison. It's almost oh, like totally. taking Jim Morrison and Robert Plant and, yep. and if they had a child, it was Michael Hutchins. Absolutely. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I heard something interesting. There's a great um, Nick Cave documentary. Oh, where, God damn. I know. I didn't mention Nick Cave, <sighs> but he's, I know. All right. He, he's talking to Kylie Minogue in this documentary. She dated Michael Hutchins for a while. And she said that Michael Hutchins apparently had pretty bad vision. He couldn't really see very far. So that far. was part of his. <laughs> well, she said he put on lenses or I can't remember how she how she uh, stated it, but he did something to correct his vision so he could see. And she said it scared the hell out of him. So he went back to just not really being able to see. But you would never know that because oh, of the connection. Arguably, maybe the greatest, if not the one of the top three greatest frontmen I've ever witnessed. To me. So my wife and I, we got married in 2005 and me being always the music fan the, the, back before there was iTunes, I burnt our gift to all of the people. And I, I'll get you a copy of it. Yeah. I'd appreciate it. But I burnt a CD for So everybody that came to the wedding got a CD of oh. songs and Never Tear Us Apart was one of the songs in there. And to, to this day, if, if I hear it, I have to listen to it all the way through to the oh, end. Man. I can't. I can't change off of it. I just love that song so much. It's like an instant classic. Like oh, the so first good. time you heard it, you're like, yeah, this is one of the greatest it really, rock it songs really of all was, time. For sure. Oh, just the string. Oh, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a great song. Um, you know, again, maybe not to people what he once was nowadays, but pretty solid following nonetheless. I had to go with Bono. I mean. I did not. Bono's, a, Bono's strong for sure. All right. Well, and uh, go ahead. I mean, you two was easily one of my top three bands in high school that I listened to. And 
I mean, the first few times I saw him literally brought tears to my eyes. He was just. It's a moving music, especially really at, at the peak of their powers. And not only that, but how, what a run of albums they had. Oh yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. War, boy, um, you know, uh, Joshua Tree, uh, uh, Rattle and Hum, Octon Baby. Yeah. I'm, I'm missing the, what's the flame one that I'm forgetting. Unforgettable Fire. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, something like eight amazing yeah. albums yeah, yeah. in a row. I mean, they kind of, they kind of became a, a, a blurred copy of themselves towards the end of their career. They yeah. took a lot of people off when they, they did when they populated the, everyone's iPhone with an album and then taking the political thing, maybe a little bit too far, but still just great showmen, great songwriters, yeah. great musicians and, and Bono, you know, definitely. I mean, he's another one. There's a lot of people who despise him, but to me, that earnestness that he had, it spoke to me. I mean, that was very um, life affirming and, you know, just I had never really witnessed in that proximity a front man who, you know, probably, I mean, the first time I saw them was in 83 on the war tour. He probably wasn't a whole lot older than me, maybe five or six years, but it seemed like a huge gap sure. in terms of years. But I mean, he just, he just made us feel like we were part of something. It's weird because it's a different look on the same type of thing Strummer did. Again, it was yeah. cool. Again, it was political, but it was. And in, in, in some ways, a lot more epic or orchestral or kind of, I don't know, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but it almost, true, you felt like you were at a rally when you're going totally. to the, yeah. I so. mean, for my friends, for me and my friends who were really crazy about him, I mean, and this term gets thrown around a lot, but he was a hero. Yeah. He was total hero to us, you know. Um, I got to go eat at his hotel in Dublin. Oh, and, yeah? And, yeah, so, uh, you know, it's funny because... I've got a good friend, uh, Dave Sweeney over here, who's from the part of Ireland that my family comes from. And so I always like to talk to him about Irish things and what do, what do people think about Bono over there? But we went, my, my wife in 2008 for my birthday, got us a trip to St. Patty's to be there in Dublin nice. for St. Patty's Day. And they have a hotel there on the river and we got to eat there and very, very cool. Wow. Topic, but anyway. No, no, that's. And actually, U2 is my partner, Dennis's favorite band, so I have to mention that. He's seen them since the first time they ever toured the U.S. He saw them at a little bar, and he's been like, that's been his favorite band ever since. So Very cool. Um, lastly, for the 80s, had to go with David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth was my number 11. Okay. So, again, I mean, turn the sex up to 11 and <laughs> just... just Part comedian, part singer, showman, part, circus, just, bar, carnival barker, everything just, you'd everything. ever want. Yeah, for sure. everything. Um, to me, just a consummate front man. Right. I mean, he's fun to watch. He is, you know, he's a wise guy. He, I mean, he's everything. So, well, also too, uh, as a late as a late comer to uh, 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 being Jewish, uh, you know, I yeah. always talk about my recent uh, catharsis that I'm ten percent Jewish. <laughs> I love the fact of him kind of turning the perceptions of uh, the Jewish as a people on their head. And, exactly. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put on you know wrestling shoes gymnastic pants b doing splits and just shoving my dick in everybody's face exactly i just loved he, he just kind of turned it on its head so i mean that takes a certain amount of for lack of a of balls to yeah do. yeah and, and he had the it was, despair for it sure. came so naturally to right him, right so um, honorable um so admirable i should say so is that chapter three or chapter four of the 80s that was one two three that was four all right yeah all right 
Um, this isn't so much divided by uh, uh, time or place or um, decade, but I went with three guys. I grouped them together because to me they're similar. Chapter five is the catch-all. Got yeah. it. All right. These are the audacious, fearless, unflinching, just balls out. Just I'm excited about how little overlap we've had thus far. Yeah. But, but here comes, here That's comes great. your catch-all. Um, I had to go with Iggy Pop. Ah, oh, number four. In this one. Um, to me, influenced every frontman who's ever followed him. Every single one. For sure. Uh, he's the, the bravest, the boldest frontman ever to me. He really showed that there was no barrier between him and the audience. Um, he's just, it's, it's impossible to not watch him. As much as I love the Stooges, as much as I, stu- I love the stuff he did with David Bowie and with somebody who you really like with uh, Josh Homie from yeah. uh, Queens of Stone Age. Um, I mean, you just can't take your eyes off the guy. Well, if, if physicality is a metric by which we judge a front man, there can never, I don't think there can be another Iggy pop. Never. You can't, there's no one who's going to be more Iggy pop than Iggy pop. I mean, blood, sweat, leaving it all on the stage. I mean, that's the reason he's ripped to this day without an ounce of fat on him is he just, Puts it all out, stage diving, jumping around. I mean, he just doesn't calm down. No. Just all over the map. Uh, crazy, crazy. And and it's funny because he occupies a very masculine and a very feminine place at the exact same time. Exactly. You know, and there's stories you hear. There was a great movie called Velvet Goldmine. I don't know if you ever saw. Oh, yeah, there was yeah. a lot of insinuation that there was... Uh, some sort of relationship with Bowie and some other stuff. But at the same time, this guy would throw down in any ball. I mean, just, Oh, just a mighty figure in, in every way that shape and form. Exactly. So he 100% had, agree. He had to be tough coming from Michigan, from Detroit. <laughs> and I, 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 there's this weird phenomenon with me on these podcasts where I can be an encyclopedia out in the world and I get on, on this show and I forget stuff, but what's his real name? Um, uh, James Osterberg. James Osterberg. And when you hear an interview, he sounds like a blue collar factory worker from totally. Detroit. Totally. But then he turns on again, much in the same way of Alice Cooper. He just has this character that he turns on. Yep. And it's it's amazing. He did a great interview with Mark Marin, who's one of my podcast interviews. But Mark talked about how before he walked in the studio, he was out on the deck doing yoga, took his shirt <laughs> off and came in and sat down and just checked every box that Mark could have ever hoped for. Uh-huh. And he doesn't he live in South Florida? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, lives. he lives in the Keys or something yep. like that. Okay. Well, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. He's Iggy Pac. Yeah. I, I mean, my 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 list is not in order of greatness. It's no, just, no, not at all. But if there was a number one for me, he might be it. So, wow. Yeah. That's anyway, huge. Go ahead. Uh, similar to Iggy, certainly followed in his footsteps. I went with Stiv Bader's Dead Boys. Lords of the New this Church. This is where you occupy a world outside of my knowledge. I'm aware of them, but I didn't. I didn't. So he's. I mean, he didn't necessarily emulate or imitate Iggy, but he's definitely of that school. Um, just totally irre- irreverent, uh, ready to take any chance. He, he almost had the. You know, seeing him, it was almost like let's see what he's going to do next. I remember uh, when I saw him, um, and apparently he had done this a lot. He took a mic cable, the mic, his mic cable, and he wrapped it around his neck really hard. And he was starting to turn purple. And I got sort of scared. I was like, what is going on? You know? And then just when you were about to like jump in, he unwrapped it. So, so 
I have my version of that, which I've talked to you about before, and I'll wait till mine, but remind me when we talk. Stiv Baders? Yep. All right. I have my Stiv Baders. Go okay. Ahead. And then last in that category, I went with Lux Interior from the Cramps. Okay. Um, wow. Just as confounding as he was entertaining, if you ever saw him, I mean, the guy was... He Spooky. Very. He looked like he just walked off, off the set of a horror movie. But, you know, he would wear like these skin tight leather pants and six inch pumps and walk around the stage like that. Um, he would have mu- multiple bottles of wine on the on the stage and he would just take them and drink them. And most of it would just run down his chest. He was just just so fascinating to watch so that that there's a there's three names uh and one of which i'm forgetting you're gonna have to help me with but mostly in the 70s you were watching people that you weren't even sure were human beings correct and so obviously bowie had some stages where you're like i'm not even sure he's he's from this world exactly uh (laughs) peter gabriel definitely did that for a period of time and then with roxy music um Brian Ferry. Brian Ferry, but then also, who's the producer? The Oh, Eno, Brian Eno. Yeah, they also just were like, I'm not sure they're from this world. So not necessarily the same type of music, but you almost feel like you're catching an alien in the middle of doing something oh. that you weren't meant to see when you're watching these people. And that's half the fun, is yeah. trying to figure that out. Yeah, like, what is going on here? While the music is just, you know, kind of coming over you and you're being moved by it. So, right. yeah. Um, yeah, Lux was just... It was fascinating. So, um, so those are my categories. I then have my top three. Okay. So I'll jump into those. Get it. Uh, so we just talked about him, and I know he could fit into the first category I brought in of people who are more known as their own entity versus being part of a band. But um, I could not not mention David Bowie. I mean, David- he's, he's my. If, if I'm on an island with one person to listen to, it's Bowie. So I appear 100%. I mean, just, but the great thing about him is he's six different people. Totally. At least. Yeah. You know, and it's great. He said, you know, in an interview years ago, he said, that's how he was kind of able to keep his sanity. That wasn't him you were seeing. That was him playing a character, much like an actor would play a role in a play and then in a TV show and then in a movie. I mean, if you can kind of put yourself into it, but really think that you're playing the role of somebody else, that has to kind of be a little easier than sharing your, you know, your, your soul out right. on that stage every night. So, you know, obviously he's a trendsetter, visually just stunning. Um, he's always evolving, always changing. So engaging. That death of all of the recent passings of oh. people just really, and he put, he, I think we talked about this a little bit before, but he put out arguably one of his best albums, which was written while he knew he was dying. Yes. And it kind of came out posthumously and st- stood measured up to anything he's done before. Absolutely. So he had more to give. That's what killed me is I feel like he had more to give, you know, like there was more material that was relevant and absolutely. And, you know, but he just, I just loved him so, so much. Oh, and it's hard for me to listen to that record to black star now. Oh because- God. Yeah. Cause he's, it's like he's singing from the grave or he's, he's telling you, you know, Know. Goodbye, you know, know. for sure. Uh, it's very difficult for me to listen to that record, but I will agree. It's it's probably one of his best records that he'd done in the last, you know, 20, 20 years, years. Yeah, for sure. Um, we talked about him again, but again, I cannot skip him as Mick Jagger. I mean, born I mean, to be a rock star. Just 
And he, the thing about him is he's he's confounding to me. Well, first off, he, I mean, you listen to him talk and he sounds like uh, a chimney sweep from Mary Poppins. <laughs> but then you listen to him sing and he sounds like he's from Muscle Shoals or from, you know, Motown or whatever. Exactly. And then one of the most awkward people on stage, but somehow made it. I mean, he's a horrible dancer, but at the yes. same time, he almost created his own totally way of being. I mean, there's that video. I think it's a, uh, it's a uh, start me up where they play. Mm -hmm. You can watch the video without the music. The way he's dancing yes. to it. And you're like, what the fuck is this guy doing? But he just makes it work. I yeah. mean, he doesn't, he wasn't, he didn't, he was his own thing. He created uh, his own lane. That oh, yeah. He drove in. And a great thing about him is, you know, I don't know if you feel this way, but a lot of times it's really difficult to make out the words that he's singing. Oh, yeah. It's hard to make them out. And I remember, um, you know, as a kid, I'd hear, I'd heard Tumbling Dice off Exile on Main Street. I didn't really know the words. And then when Linda Ronstadt had a hit with it, she put it out as a single. I was like, oh, oh those yeah. are the lyrics. Yeah, I had yeah, no yeah. idea what he was saying. Um, but, you know, just the attitude, the strut. The exhibitionism. He's a total extrovert on stage. I mean, he just commands attention. And don't get me wrong, Keith again is just a bad boy. Exactly. Just and without Keith, there is no stones. And smokes and soul and. But that was to me. I love the fact that he threatened our president with a knife at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, that's the greatest. We talked about this earlier. The greatest dual partnership, and that they're kind of nudging each other for a little bit more of the spotlight. I mean, that's just brilliant. So, um, so yeah, Keith, I'm a huge fan of, but I got to give it to Mick there. Um, number one has always been my number one, probably for decades, and I don't see it ever changing especially since he's left us, but I got to go with Freddie Mercury. Ooh, how the fuck did I miss Freddie Mercury? That well, is part of the reason is I wrote this list like 10 minutes before you. Okay. Up. No, no, no. But, but, oh, well, yeah. I mean, come on, go ahead. Freddie is just, to me, he was intrepid, humorous, brave, cheeky, bold, unfettered by criticism. Um, you know, he, Took a lot of criticism in his day, and especially later on. And I'll talk about that in a moment. He was a rock star. He was a star of the stage. He was dramatic. He, you know, he was into the whole theater of it. Um, he was like a peacock, you know, displaying his feathers on the stage. Um, and the greatest thing about him, and, you know, towards the end, I will say, I, I mean, I've always been a Queen fan. That's been one of my favorite bands since, God, I can't even tell you how long, but. Um, you know, towards the end, people kind of turned their back on him. The um, whole AIDS thing really kind well, of made it. Well, even a little bit before that. I know a lot of the diehards, like the harder rockers, you know, yeah. kind of really wrote them off when the game came out in 1980 because they heard uh, Another One Bites the Dust and they heard Crazy Little Thing Called Love. And they're like, what are these guys doing? You know, but to me, that was just them expanding on their many talents. And by about 82, they put out a record called Hot Space, which huge, huge topic of controversy. I mean, that was to every Queen fan I know, longtime Queen fan, that was the jumping off point. Was that the one with another one bites dust or was that? Um, that was the one before. That was okay. the game. Uh, Hot Space, the only single off of it really that got anywhere was uh, Under Pressure. Okay. The duet yeah. with Bowie. But it was mostly more of a funk kind of soul. Well, they started to have, uh, you know, there's that scene in the movie where they're kind of introducing a funk disco right. line into the you know, almost dance music. And so I know that that was divisive for a lot of fans. And see, it's funny you mentioned that because I refused to watch that movie. Well, you know, because I felt like, I felt like America 
turned its back on them. And uh-huh. I thought that that was so, I had a lot of resentment towards that because at, on that tour in 82, uh, on Hot Space Tour, that was their last American tour, uh, attendance was very low and people who were going to the shows were going mainly to see the opening act who was Billy Squire, yeah. who was huge at that time. Yeah. You know, and Queen never toured America again. They never had a hit in America again. And, you know, things like MTV turned their, MTV banned one of their videos because they were dressed in drag in yeah. 1984. Yeah. I'm like, come on, that's just, Ridiculous. you're just jumping on the bandwagon, yeah. you know? Um, so then Freddie and Queen have a resurgence in 92 with Wayne's World because of the scene with Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody yeah. And I'm thinking, is that what it took? Anyway, that's my own personal feelings, but. Um, just for a gay man to be able to command that much attention and have that much adoration is a huge thing. I know Freddie probably for years and years was told he would never amount to anything, that he was, you know, not as good as everybody else. And he took that and he ran with it and he became the greatest. And just to me, the greatest performance in the history of rock and roll. Well, and arguably the greatest voice. Oh, of anybody you just listed or anybody that could be listed. Oh, I mean, absolutely. If you believe in God and God is singing to us through a human vessel, that voice just is as close to it, perfect and angelic absolutely. And as, as it comes. And their performance at Live Aid not oh. only stole. you got to watch the movie. I hope you soften your position on it. I, the movie is not a great movie by any stretch. Uh, the fact that they were going to do it earlier where Sasha Baron Cohen might yeah. have been the person to do it. I like the idea of that because he would have been a little bit more perverse and probably play that side of it a lot more than they did in that movie. But I think that's what they didn't want. Well, which, well, right. And I, and I see is, that and I get that and that's a problem with it. But, sure. but, uh, what, what that actor did with it was pretty impressive too. I mean, he, the, he studied the, the, the moves of Freddie and got him down pretty damn good. No. And that's what yeah. everybody has told me. Yeah. People have, Pleaded with Played me, with like, you. you know, well, I far just, be it for me to push you over the edge, but no, one at day some I'll, point, no, yeah. I'll probably wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm going to watch it today. But for right now, keep I your expectations low and yeah. as a novelty. It'll be interesting to I, you. I just haven't been influenced or I haven't been interested to watch it because it, it, it's, it goes a little deeper. It's these feelings I have of, you know, nobody cared about him at the end. And now he's being you know, viewed as like this long lost hero, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I want people to know the greatness he achieved while he was on this planet, but I don't know. Well, if you go through visual artists and look at what space they held while they were alive versus when they died, exactly. Much in the same way, you know, Hey, who's that crazy guy who cut off his fucking ear? Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, he might've had some value. He might've put some things out in the world. Exactly. I got, so I'm going to go through mine. Yeah. No way. No order, no order of importance. And uh, one of them is a little bit dirty pool because it, okay. it, there's a, uh, you'll understand why. So number one is Ozzy. Okay. Um, obviously a Black Sabbath uh, near and dear to my heart is sure. one of the forebears of metal. He had a career that, you know, arguably exceeded, if not in artistic merit and commercial appeal with his solo career. Uh-huh. Um, but you just can't be a metal fan and not, not bring up Ozzy as, you know, and again, his voice uh-huh. and, and, you know, so for me, Ozzy was a big one. What is it about a performer that you like the most about him? Well, he was the Prince of Darkness. Yeah. And not only that, but I saw him r- within the past five or six years over here at the, uh, I forget what it was called then, but the amphitheater. Yeah. And he had as much energy as he did in his 20s. He was running around, dumping dumping water on himself, but the whole 
you know, biting the head off of the bat, the, you know, just the playing to the, you know, there was that period in the 80s where the, the covers were, you know, just blood. And this was when Tipper Gore and all these other people were, you know, you know, the censorship was yeah. really big. And they had the suicide solution was the song that they uh -huh. were saying were driving kids to kill themselves and all this other stuff. And, you know, it's the poking at, at the, the social mores of the time. Definitely. Tongue in cheek doing so. And again, much in the way you look at Alice Cooper, I mean, he's kind of just this old English dude who just walks around and mumbles to himself. But, you know, he gets on stage and he turns into something else entirely. Well, and they were villains. I mean, those guys were the villains of rock and roll, which to me, we kind of need. We yep. need that. And I don't I see a, villains. I, I don't see a whole lot of them anymore. anymore. Why? So. Do you know Rob Sexton? Uh, he yeah. owns Planet Retro. So yeah, I, yeah. I texted him the other night. I keep trying to get him on the show, but he's like, he's like, I, 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 I tend to get myself into trouble when I open my mouth. So I'm not <laughs> sure I want to come over and get myself in worse trouble. But uh -huh. I love him because he's. He always reminds me of the two uh, dour guys in the balcony on uh, the Muppets. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's just always like, eh, you know, just. But I love Rob. So, anyways, I, I texted him. I said. I said, was there, what was, was there, what is the current punk rock or what was, what was punk rock after rap music? And he said, I don't think, I think rap music was the last punk rock. Mm. I don't know that there is dangerous music anymore. I don't yeah. know if there are dangerous people in music. It's just kind of become diluted. And I don't it, know if you'd agree with good that. Good point. No, yeah. I, I would totally agree. So talking about dangerous frontman, uh, Axl Rose, okay. another one, uh, you know, I, Guns N' Roses just hit me right as I was going through puberty. Sure. And that album, I, if there's a more perfect album out there than Appetite for Destruction, I don't know of it. And every one of those videos to a young 12, 13-year-old boy watching him up there and talking about slithering around on stage as a snake and just living that L.A. lifestyle. I mean, I, I don't know that there was a more perfect version of that than Axl Rose, Undeniable. especially during that album. I saw him, I saw them when they played here years ago, when they opened for Motley Crue, right after Appetite had come sure. out. I went to one of those shows. They played two nights here. I only went to one. But then me and a group of friends of mine drove up to um, Michigan okay. to go see them. It was a friend of mine's birthday. And we said, what do you want for your birthday? And she said, I want to go see Guns N' Roses. And they were right in between two opening slots. I think they were in the middle of the ACDC tour. And an Iron Maiden tour that they were going to open for. But they had two weeks in between where they did a bunch of headlining shows. And we drove up to uh, Michigan. And we saw them in Saginaw and in Detroit. And we got to meet all of them and hang with all of them. It was fantastic. But those two shows are probably two of the greatest shows I've ever seen. I saw them in uh, Orlando three years ago with yeah. their current tour. I never got to see them originally, which is one of my big regrets. But I got to see them. And, you know, they're older uh, it's somewhat of a cash grab. It's not the original lineup, but still at that, my heart just, you know, overfilled with joy yeah. seeing Duff and Slash and, uh, you know, Axel on stage and going so many great songs in such a short run of albums. I, I mean, know. they had a career's worth of amazing music over like arguably three albums, you know? Oh yeah. So, uh, you know, he's, he's one of my big ones. Um, Next one, this this might be, I wouldn't say controversial, but it's kind of straying from the pack a little bit, is Chuck D. Okay. And the reason I went with Chuck D is around seventh or eighth grade, uh, the world of rap was introduced to me. And 
Uh, you know, you had your Run DMC, which you were kind of getting because of Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. You had LL Cool J, who kind of was uh, doing stuff a little bit later. You know, NWA was coming around. But for me, Public Enemy just hit me dead center. And his voice was like, if James Earl Jones and Morgan Freeman were <laughs> singing to you, just this authoritative, strong, and I love Spike Lee at a very early age. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember as soon as, uh, uh, of course, I'm going to forget the, the movie now, but uh, Fight the Power song, when you know, uh, when uh, that. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Thank you. Um, when that came out, I, I remember as soon as that came out on VHS, I got my parents to let me uh, rent it. And if you remember the beginning of that movie, Rosie Perez yeah. dancing for the entirety of that song. Yes. It's just like, this is, this is something is being said here. Something's going on here. And, you know, I always have this kind of white guilt about, you know, taking ownership or liking or, or, or whatever about it. It's like, this speaks to me. I'm not sure who, I'm not who he's speaking to, but it speaks to me and I've always loved it. And he's always from that world of music been, you know, my favorite. Well, well, they were one of the artists, one of the groups that, you know, listening to them, you felt kind of like you were getting an education. Oh, for sure. You know, you had to like go and like, most of my appear, uh, heroes don't appear on any stamp, you know, you know, John, you know, I, I had no idea about John Wayne before he told me about John Wayne. I had no idea about Elvis Presley before yeah. he told me about Elvis Presley, you know. So it was kind of like there's an alternate history that you're not being taught. And I'm going to teach it to you whether you like exactly. it or not. Yeah. Yeah. He was certainly one of those guys that would make you reach for that history book and say, let me follow up and see what he's talking about. For sure. Which is always a great thing. For so. sure. So my next one, which we already talked about, was Iggy Pop. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll move on here. Here's one that meant a lot to me but he is definitely not the traditional uh mold of a frontman but david byrne and oh, yeah so uh i picked david byrne because he, he to me was kind of the beginning of alternative music uh-huh. or independent music or artsy you know he wasn't by no means sexual uh you right. know he's i think admittedly on the spectrum of you know uh, uh you know as far as psychologically uh-huh. speaking, but almost like a professor, almost sure. like a art, art is, you know, not an Andy Warhol type of character, but there's just something very peculiar and odd, but the songs were so well written mm-hmm. and very kind of, uh, uh, academic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, what's your feelings on David? That's Burn? a great choice. And I feel bad. I didn't. Well, good. I'm glad I, I'm glad I went up to you and went one um, category. Yeah, that's an excellent okay. choice. The great thing about David Byrne is if you look at him, he looks like he's the accountant who's going to be in the back of the stage counting up the... You the, would never say this rec- guy is a, is a let alone a, a front man, a musician. Not at all. But yeah. then when he gets up there, um, he just becomes somebody else. And it's that's that's part of what's, you know, that what transfixes you is like, how did that guy who looks that way command so much attention? And, you know, I'm sure you've seen... Um, the concert film stopped making sense, oh, which for sure. is one of the greatest. Yeah. But just the way it starts to where it ends, that transformation, that sums up. Embodies him in a many David ways. David Yeah. And the other thing is, I, I have never arrived at a conclusion whether he knows how weird he is. Like, is he doing it on purpose or is he that way? Like, I can't. Sometimes I think he's putting this on and other times I'm like, no, he's just a weird dude. I can't figure out which one it is. But if you figured him out quickly, you'd lose interest. This is 100% true. That's what keeps you kind of engaged. 
so my next one may be somewhat uh, divisive in nature, mostly because who he's become in his dotage is <laughs> not someone I agree with a lot politically okay. in a lot of ways. But uh, as a as a person of Irish heritage and someone who likes Oscar Wilde and someone who likes kind of these uh, effeminate singers mm-hmm. or whatever is uh, Morrissey. Oh, yeah. So uh, obviously the Smiths, uh, so much great music and his writing is just absolutely amazing. My wife can't stand him. Anytime I have him <laughs> singing in a car, she's like, Will he pick a note and sing it? Like, I don't know what, but I just love, love him. And, you know, in later years, it's like 50-50 when you buy a ticket, if he's actually going to have the show or sure. not. And then any show that you go to, I saw him over at, uh, what's the what's the one over in St. Pete? Mahaffey. Mahaffey. And everybody goes and buys a drink during Meet His Murder because they don't want to watch the movie that he's playing in the background. But um a great performer, a great, a great showman, a a uh, agitator, a you know, very willing to kind of get in anybody's face and challenge them uh, politically, intellectually, whatever the case may be. And so, um, anyways, and, and again, almost an antihero to very look at him. So. Yeah. You would never guess that he would front what's now probably the most revered and arguably the most important band of the eighties. Yeah, looking at him. But when he went on stage, again, he became somebody else. Um, I love the Smiths. Don't get me wrong. I will admit my my uh, <laughs> affection okay. my affection is strictly for Johnny Marr. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Marr is my rock hero. That guy well, is just an amazing guitarist. He's and just the longevity of career. And oh, he's idolized by all the people that we idolize, or at least I idolize. You and know, he's such guy. a humble guy. Oh, for sure. There's so again humble. another one of these duo- duos. Totally. That, yeah. So, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, I listen to the Smiths all the time. I love every one of those records equally, but, um, but yeah, I, I would agree. Morrissey okay. was a fantastic front man. We talked about Robert Plant. My next one. And again, musically people either like this band or they don't, but Anthony Kiedis, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh yeah. Um, Red Hot Chili Peppers for me, even to this day, uh, you know, people kind of give them a bad rap, you mm-hmm. know, they're white, white boy rap or white boys trying to do funk or whatever. Um, and, you know, not the best singer in the world, not the best rapper in the world. That's but okay. he definitely kind of took James Brown and Iggy Pop and molded them into his own thing. And Blood Sugar Sex Magic to this day is one of my top five albums that just can't they they did something with that album before that you know early on they were kind of what they were criticized as being i think with uh when hillel slovak died and mother's milk came out they started to go a little bit more artistic that's when john frusciante came Mm -hmm. on one of my favorite guitarists in this world uh but with blood sugar sex magic they held up in that that mansion and rick rubin was on it and they were at the height of their powers and that is just such an amazing album to me. And to this day, uh, my goal when I think I made to set down a guitar and never play again is uh, if I can learn the end of Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And it's not technically the hardest thing to play in the world on a right. guitar. Do you know the song I'm talking Yo, about? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, there's like an end four minutes that's just uh, Frushanti and this mm-hmm. kind of spiral guitar yeah. chord progression and for something and you there's a even a part in the song where you can hear it's raining and cars driving through the rain and uh-huh. something about that is so haunting and beautiful to me that is that is 
the golden ring for me on and guitar. But in any event, that's a great not, album. Not talking about the guitarist Anthony Kiedis for me. Yeah. I mean, such a meaningful band, such a meaningful person. So. Oh yeah, he's yeah, he's. I'll agree with that. He's very uh, uh, very exciting and fun to watch. So then, my number nine musically. Maybe not the most merit, although he's an amazing guitar hero in his own right because of how he plays the guitar. But if you are a metal fan, I don't think you you can't have James Hetfield on your list. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, I grew up in the age of thrash and Metallica were always the the, the, the tip of the spear in the thrash world. Um, you know, you had Anthrax, Megadeth, yeah. Slayer. Uh, but I just, you know... the for me, the most perfect three album run of any band in the world between uh, Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning and or actually I think Ride the Lightning. Am I getting those backwards? I think it's Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets and then Injustice for All. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, his voice kind of changed over their career. They kind of went off on a vacation with some of their poppier uh-huh. records and in and, and their later days have become touring monsters and have tried to go back and grab their earlier glory and yeah. you know they had their napster feuds and yeah in a weird way that duo much kind of in the way of the eagles is not the singer and the guitarist but the singer and the drummer you know oh yeah so well, kind yeah. of a, a weird a weird dynamic there but uh so that's my number nine you know it's funny you you, you mentioned them and um going back to something i said i remember um they did a cover a great cover of queen stone cold crazy and I remember when that came out, I had so many people. I said, oh, that's a Queen song. Yeah. People would not believe yeah, me yeah, yeah. because they were more accustomed to hearing the more kind of, you know, pop, uh, uh, smooth kind of soul based version of Queen. I'm like, no, I assure you that's a Queen song. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, as much as they get shit these days, you know, everybody wants to shit on them. I mean, if, if metal, I don't think you can you can argue the brilliance of those albums and kill them all as well. Oh, undeniable. So I mean, so my number 10 is kind of a weird one. It's I'm I'm I, I'm, I'm ending kind of on a on a soft note. You know, it, it, it's I'm not I wasn't building up to some great catharsis. I do have about five or six others that I just want to throw in before we wrap sure. up. But my number 10 was Robert Smith. Oh, um, wow. and the reason I had him was you, you made a post on Facebook the other day uh-huh. and I don't remember exactly what the parameters were, but it was something to the effect of a perfect album start to finish. Do you remember what the post was that I'm referring to? Um, gosh, I it was can't. something about the album, he, having to hear the songs in the order in which they appear. Oh, right. That was one my yeah. friend Kevin brought up. Yeah. He said, yeah, he had texted me and he said, you know. I was riding my bike and I had a mix on and I heard um, one of the songs from Exile on Main Street. Right. And I had to stop it because I can't hear a song out, out of, of context order. from the whole. And I said, you know, that's a great question. And that's what. Yeah. And I said, you know, what's an album that you have to hear? So kinda, Disintegration, uh, yeah. that album for me has just has a lot is evocative of a lot of memories. And it, much of it has to do with my wife because. We would go over and study for just hours and hours on end in the library. And we kind of had these, for some reason, you know, I had the Elliott Smith mural on the side of my building. Yeah. Elliott Smith was the soundtrack and Sufjan Stevens was a soundtrack to a lot of studying between my wife and I, because oh, wow. it was, it didn't, it was pleasant, yeah. you know, it did, it didn't get in the way of what you were doing, but it was, you know, there, but 
for whatever reason, when we got back to my wife's dorm room, Fascination would come on, or I'm sorry, Disintegration would come on. Uh-huh. And that album just reminds me of the courtship of my wife. Oh, wow. And such a great album start to finish. And who, 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 is there another cure? I mean, is there, I don't think there is, there's not another band that kind of occupies that space for me. And, you know, you take again, kind of this sexually unclear front man, you take the makeup, but very much shoegazy, very much kind of emotional. And he wasn't running around the stage doing mm-hmm. a bunch of gymnastics. He was kind of more, uh, a recluse on stage. Yeah. It was more kind of, you, you almost felt like you were intervening on something. With exactly. Him. So, uh, that was my number 10. Great guitarist. Yeah. He never gets enough credit. Yeah. And one thing that kind of pisses me off about the cure, cause I love the cure, you know, yeah, later they became popular and they were on MTV and Friday I'm in love and whatever. But people tend to take that and let it cloud their vision of the earlier stuff. Uh-huh. When I think of great post-punk albums and bands, I always put The Cure on there and I get so much criticism. What do you mean The Cure? I mean, listen to Faith, listen to 17 Seconds. Those are fantastic albums. I would put them up there with anything by Joy Division, anything by Gang of Four. I mean, those are up there for me. So The Cure is a band that I think people love, people are fanatical about, but there's so many people who dismiss them. And I think that that's so unfair. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm gonna turn this the, the epilogue because we've okay. had our chapters and sure. then we went through mine. I'm calling this an epilogue to kind of create space from the rest of the list because uh, they're just meaningful to me. And if you have any ones that you want to add in, but when I talked about dirty pool, one of my favorite front men, and again, my wife's not a big fan, but is Stevie Nicks. And oh yeah, so talking about uh, Stevie Nicks in the realm of front man, you know, she, she was just, uh, we talked about gypsy with, uh, who was uh, Steven Tyler. Um, you know, was she very much occupied that world too? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, they, they kept the two of them kept the scarf business, <laughs> you know, you know, in the black for many, many years and her voice and just all of the, all of the soap opera of Fleetwood Mac and just what was going on between all the people in that band. But I don't think there is a sexier, more attractive front man than Stevie Nicks and singing Rhiannon in the seventies. She's and amazing. So, yeah, I just have always just held her in such high regard. See, I was going to go there, but I thought so this is where I cheated. Is I, yeah. I thought maybe we'll do a female version. Well, maybe we can, but okay. that was I. So that's where I was saying. I agree. Cool. Yeah, she's she's fascinating. So uh, a couple other ones, uh, and again, the 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 duo frontman, and they get a bad rap, but the Gallagher brothers, mm-hmm. Liam Gallagher, just the snottiness, the soccer hooligan kind of just. You know, he would just, I'm not singing tonight, or I'm going to go sit up in the, I'm going to go sit up in the the rafters and watch my brother right. try and get through and sing these songs. And, you know, the mic, the microphone above his head angled down and the parkas and just his hands behind his back and just the, he had that Johnny Rotten kind of fuck oh, you yeah. way about him. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, very, he he's just an interesting character. So mm-hmm. that one for me is a big one. You know, I remember with Oasis, the first, before I heard them, I read about them. And there was so much hype in them about them in the British press. And I was just not ready for the hype. And I remember, this is not long after I had started at the record store, we would get promos all the time, free CDs and stuff to you know play in the store. 
And one of the coolest promos we ever got, and I still have it, was a vinyl pressing of definitely maybe oh, wow. a British pressing, which now goes for a ton of money. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give these guys a chance. You know, what have I got to lose? I hadn't heard them yet. Yeah. I just read about them. So I took, a, I took it home and I put the needle on the first song on Rock and Roll Star. Mm-hmm. And within the first, I'd say, 15 seconds, I was like, I love this band. Yeah. There was just something so immediate about that sound, that guitar. And they kind of got into later albums, uh, you know, they get a lot of heat for being too much the Beatles, yeah. you know, and you can go both ways on that. But um, big deal. Amazing songwriters. Yeah. Right. And just I mean, I mean, Noel Gallagher can write amazing riffs, amazing music. And as we've seen in his later career with High Flying Birds and, you know, some some songs with uh, Oasis. He's a great front front man in and of his own his own doing, but uh, he is. I agree. They are. I, I hate to call them a guilty p- pleasure because I think they have integrity in their music. But if if I'm wanting to just drink a beer and have fun, I can put them on for hours and just be happy with every song that comes yep. out of the speaker. So uh, that was one. Uh, another one, and this has been. I, I never liked liked them as much at the time, but I'm liking them more now. Uh, and it's funny because these two guys, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about two guys at once, okay. but, um, uh, is Maynard Keenan from tool okay. and then Zach De La Roca from, uh, from, uh, Rage, Rage Against, Against Machine. Machine. Uh-huh. They both came out kind of in that, um, Lollapalooza period. Uh, but you know, Maynard is just so perverse and kind of bizarre, uh, much in the way that, uh, you know, Lux Interior, mm-hmm. or Peter Gabriel, you know, he comes on stage dressed like a woman or in riot gear or in carnival gear. And then Dale Roca is just such an agitator and very much, uh, you know, in the vein of clash and kind of political uh-huh. music, and political rock. So I yeah. really appreciated them. Um, any any comments there? Oh, no, I, yeah. I would agree with both of them. Those are both pretty uh, powerful. Um, uh awe-inspiring guys for sure and so i didn't get to touch on the american punk nor did you really yeah. and obviously um there's the ramones mm-hmm. so there's definitely a lead man there that we should sure. talk about but for me if i had to pick one it's henry rollins uh you know that that hardcore scene is so meaningful to me uh, you have ian mckay from from minor threat and fugazi and then obviously uh henry rollins before his solo career with black flag and uh, a lot of people say that Henry's their least favorite Black Flag singer, which you know I hear that a lot too. I think that's just bullshit. I I, I think that's that going against the popular guy. <laughs> like he obviously commercial. He you know he's the most well known of them. So I just think you kind of set yourself apart as knowing more if exactly you know whomever you know Keith Morris or any of these other people sure. were, were your favorite. But so the one I didn't have on my list, and but I'd like to end on because. As I get older and more and more into music, I become more and more fascinated with this person as Nick Cave. Oh, yeah. Um, and he is just an interesting character Very. between his early career and what he's become uh, lately. It was the birthday party was yep. was his original band, which uh-huh. is very much a punk band. And now he Pretty, has yeah. kind of manifested into this. I don't even know what you would call him. Balladeer. Balladeer, but he's just <laughs> a dark a yeah. murder ballad. It's just dark, yeah. crazy music. And he's a screenwriter and writes write soundtracks and, uh, you know, just a just an interesting character. But again, I, I always have trouble with 
picking someone whose name is in the title of the band as a front. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. You know, with the bad seeds, he's kind of his own thing. There. Sure. But, um, nah, he's his career, his body of work is stellar. Yeah. I mean, depending on what mood you're in, you can put on, you know, a Grinderman album, a Nick Cave record or a birthday party record. Like yeah. you said, and yeah. it'll fulfill that mood yeah. you're in. Great writer. Just, just very literate. So, yeah, I'm a huge Nick Cave fan. Well, good. So that's our front man episode. Any closing remarks? No, I mean, I feel bad that I left out talking about America. I talk about Paul Westerberg and Bob yeah. Mould. Yeah. Two Minneapolis guys who fronted two of my alternate favorite bands. Can't say, can't leave them out, but. But no, I think we did a good uh, cross-section. I think it's pretty amazing that we got through without Kurt Cobain, Eddie Vedder, or Chris Cornell coming up. Because, I mean, yeah. Lunge and a front man, you know, you know, very uh, commercially popular. Sure. But again, I think there could be conversations about those guys as I well. I agree. And I love all three of those guys. Not to leave them out. But yeah, there were like I said, there were so many more I could have for sure. thrown in there. But That's the great thing about these conversations is we could do the show five I times know. and have I different know. people. So, so great. Well, as always, I appreciate you. As soon as you leave, I'm going to think about what my next project <laughs> is. I, so I love doing this on Facebook. I love making, if you're a Facebook friend of mine, I love getting people pissed off at each other politically. <laughs> but another version of that for me is kind of sending you down a path musically. So yes. I, I appreciate it. I love it. Thank I you so it. much, Gabe, for coming by. Always Thank a pleasure. Thank you. All Thank right. you so much. Thank you.